Today on the show, are Idaho lawmakers scared of young people? Is Boise State's budget at risk after a rough presentation at the Capitol? And what's the most delicious local food you've eaten? Contributor Jimmy Dawson and Blake Hunter from our Hey Boise newsletter chat through the questions that came up after a busy week. It's Friday, January 27th, 2023. I'm Frankie Barnhill filling in for Emma Arnold, and this is CityCast Boise. All right, happy Friday, Jimmy and Blake. I'm just going to get right into it because there's, of course, plenty to talk about with the legislature uh, really heating up uh, in the last week or so. First off, Jimmy, can you talk to me about what happened earlier this week when Boise State President uh, Dr. Marlene Trump, she faced the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, in other words, the place where all the money comes from, um, and it, it didn't go so well. So what happened? What were the tension points that came up? Yeah, I, I think that these tension points have been around ever since she actually took over as president of Boise State. Uh you know, this is not her first JFAC appearance, uh, but the questions were pretty similar to the ones that we've heard for the last couple of years, which are basically how much money are you spending on diversity, equity and inclusion programs? Uh, and, you know, does that conflict with this law that we passed a couple of years ago that says, uh, you know, you cannot do that. You cannot compel a student to believe any sort of ideology or worldview. Um you know, so she didn't have a whole lot of answers. Uh, it was a whole lot of, hey, we'll get back to you. Uh, if anyone listening uh, wants to read a great wrap up of this, go to IdahoEdNews.org. Uh, they they covered it really well. Um, but, you know, it, it basically is nothing new. Uh, we've seen so much of it uh, over the past several years, including that bill that some thought would basically get rid of critical race theory or at least discussions of it in Idaho higher ed institutes, um, things like that, uh, not to mention millions of dollars being held back from uh, University of Idaho, Boise State uh, and Idaho State University. Yeah, around these DEI issues. And uh, we'll definitely link to that Idaho Ed News article you mentioned in our show notes, Jimmy, because it did a great job of rounding this up. But I mean, yeah, as you pointed out, it's not the first time you would think, I don't know, I feel like all of her answers being, I don't know, I'll get back to you. We need to look that up and we'll get numbers to you. I was kind of surprised. I felt like you've been through this a few years in a, in a row now where they're going to ask you really tough questions. Um, Blake, what's your what's your thought on how that went? Because you were a Boise State student. You graduated just last year and you covered this at the student newspaper at the Arbiter. What did you think about uh, Trump's appearance in front of JFAC? Yeah, it was interesting. I think the last two years, higher education has really been in the limelight of JFAC. Um, and it certainly will be like highly scrutinized. But as far as kind of being like the central focus, like CRT being the central focus of the far right, uh, that doesn't really seem to be as much the case this legislative session as it has been in the years past. It will certainly be brought up, but they seem to have moved on to libraries and drag queens and stuff like that. But yeah, there were several questions that were just kind of numbers based. You know, we talked a little bit like they talked a little bit about the 
vehicle fleet that the university has and they ask some questions around that as just like the number of vehicles that uh, the university wants to purchase moving forward and she didn't really have any numbers on that um and then there were several other things as far as like student fees and she wasn't really totally sure about some of the protocols for um elected students um and then also a big line of questioning that we will probably see continue um is that the university has I think for over a year now, been trying to hire for a vice provost of inclusion and belonging, um, which would be the highest um, office in any Idaho institution that's kind of focused on like these diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And they shut that uh, job search down last year and have just recently reopened it. Um, and they didn't, they weren't able to present JFAC with like a salary for that. So I don't know. There were just a few things that Dr. Trump has had to really prepare for JFAC um, three out of the three legislative sessions that she's been here for. And this this time around, it they just they just didn't seem to have as many of the numbers or be quite as prepared for some of the questions. Um, which, of course, who am I to say? Like, I know that there's sure. so much, like, so much information that has to be pushed around. Um, they know it's going to be daunting going in front of that committee. And there were quite a few questions that were left unanswered. Yeah, it, it's just something that stood out, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and especially with that uh, vice provost position, I mean, mm-hmm. with all of the questions that she has received over the past three years of, well, what specific money is going to fund these events, whether they're, um, you know, alternative graduation celebrations or or what have you, uh, you know, they've pretty quickly said before in the past, like that's being funded by student fees or something other than taxpayer money. And if that's not the case in this particular instance, then uh, there's going to be a huge fight over that. And I'm also curious, honestly, you know, if you're someone applying for that job, you've got to know that there has been a lot of turnover in high up administration in Boise State in the last few years because of this. Like, I, I personally knew several administrators who were kind of adjacent to this DEI um, efforts and stuff on campus who have left in the last few years just because this became too much. And so not being able to have those numbers right on hand and kind of have your defense for this position ready was, I don't know, kind of surprising, I guess. Jimmy, one of the other line items within uh, Boise State's budget that came up was actually Boise State Public Radio, your employer, specifically Senator Scott Herndon, who's really honing in on on some particular social issues. He was critical or, or asking questions around uh, where does the funding come for Boise State Public Radio through Boise State. And it sounded like she also didn't have full answers for that. You know, unlike Idaho Public Television, which is another public media uh, entity in the state that is a line item that's totally separate that the legislature funds directly, Boise State Public Radio, it's different, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we do get some state funding uh, through Boise State University, like you mentioned. I don't know the actual dollar figures off the top of my head, but last time I checked in with our uh, general manager, Tom Michael, um, you know, several months ago, I, I think that figure is roughly 15 to 20 percent of our budget uh, with the majority, you know, coming from donors, uh, to be honest, or uh, underwriters, advertisers. Otherwise, then you have some federal money mixed in there as well. Uh, But you're right. I mean, Boise State Public Radio is relatively sheltered under the Boise State University budget, uh, you know, compared to Idaho Public Television, which has its own separate bill. Uh, But this isn't anything new either. Uh, You know, I mean, 
yes, partially we are a a state funded entity. So, you know, lawmakers have every right to ask, um, you know, what dollars are going there and how is it being spent? Absolutely. Um, But we have seen in the past, uh, former representative Ron Nade and Priscilla Giddings, they both tried to defund us uh, through the JFAC process as well. Um, But that did not pass last year. Uh, I don't know if that's what Senator Herndon's goal is or if he's just asking questions. But yeah, that's that's the situation we kind of face every year, too. Jimmy, another thing that you are covering is around uh, ballot initiatives that once again, we're kind of hearing these uh, themes that keep coming up every year. And another thing that's come up again this year is around ballot initiatives, basically making them even harder to pass. Uh, They're already pretty challenging, right, to get voters to actually uh, pass a ballot initiative. They are. And and it's funny, this has kind of become one of my specialties uh, <laughs> since I've come to Boise State Public Radio. But like uh, ever since 2018, when Medicaid expansion passed with 61 percent of the vote, Republicans have been trying, uh, you know, by just about every means necessary to add further restrictions right now. Uh, you know, you're talking about gathering tens of thousands of signatures. And the way that Idaho's scheme is set up is you have to get a certain number of signatures from 18 of the 35 legislative districts. I, I sure some people's eyes are rolling back in their head. Uh, <laughs> but basically, it, it the goal is to have some sort of geographic like agreement. Diversity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That people across the state in some way, to some degree, agree on this, this whatever this issue is. Exactly. Instead of like, for instance, I mean, this is an example that comes up all the time is California, where there are no geographic requirements. So basically, you can just go to LA, San Francisco, like the, the population centers and, and get something on the ballot. And that's why they have, you know, a ton of them every year. Um, but Idaho doesn't ever since the you know, citizens passed a constitutional amendment in the early 1900s to uh, establish the initiative process. We're talking about 15 initiatives have passed out of the 30 that made it to the ballot, and just five have qualified in the last couple decades. So, wow, not not very many. So now they want to make it harder. <laughs> uh, so, so what is the proposal uh, to to make it even more challenging uh, for ballot initiatives to make it to the voters to even decide on? Yeah. So what is happening now is they want to make it so uh, campaigns have to gather these signatures in every single one of those 35 legislative districts, which, you know, comparatively uh, makes it twice as harder. Uh, Obviously, I mean, Idaho is a very big geographical state, not to mention that uh, you only would have 18 months to Uh, get these signatures. And part of that time, if you're talking about super rural districts, it's snowed in, right? I mean, think about North Idaho, think about Custer County, think about, you know, all of the counties bordering Montana and Wyoming and such. Um, So it it would be extremely difficult for that to happen. Uh, This actual proposal was a bill that was passed and signed into law. uh, But the Idaho Supreme Court struck it down, uh, basically saying that this is not constitutional at all. The The quote that, you know, always stands out to me is, quote, this would result in a scheme that squarely conflicts with the democratic ideals that form the bedrock of the constitutional republic. Uh, you know, pretty damning language right there. 
Yeah, so they're bringing it back, even though this Idaho Supreme Court recently told them, no, this this isn't going to fly. Um, I mean, are they changing the language at all? Is it really like the same, basically? Well, that's the thing, is that if you change the Constitution, then it suddenly becomes constitutional. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, the, the version that was passed uh, in 2021 was a law, which, you know, is secondary in, in stature to the Constitution. Now, this would have to pass with two-thirds approval from both the House and Senate before going to the ballot for voters to decide. And then that's when, if it's approved, uh, it would change the Constitution. Okay, so new method. Um, Blake, you looked around. Uh, Jimmy mentioned California and how different uh, ballot initiative process works there. Uh, did you look around at other like conservative states and just states in general to get a sense for how Idaho's process works now and what this would do? Yeah, there are so many different formats that states use for this. Um, there are actually quite a few states that don't really have any sort of initiative process, and those are largely um, on the East Coast and in the South. But pretty much every state on kind of the Western half of the United States has some sort of process like this. And a lot of other states um, have just initiated statutes and amendments, um, but Idaho just has initiated statutes, which I'm not totally super, super clear on the language. But essentially, this would keep our initiative process, um, which some states don't even have. But it would make it much, much more difficult. And in my mind, this is, um, and in a lot of people's minds, this new constitutional amendment is kind of a direct line with some of uh, Reclaim Idaho's work as far as the Medicaid expansion in 2018. Um, and then last year, they also um, had enough ballots, um, ballot signatures to get the Quality Education Act onto the ballot. And then legislators stepped in and passed like a huge education investment that basically kind of upstaged that a little bit. Um, they, they wouldn't say that, but that's basically what happened. And so I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of curious as to see, like, if legislators do think that Idahoans will be like, actually, yeah, let's approve this um, constitutional amendment that will make it harder for us to get something on the ballot when the thing that prompted this was a 60 percent yes vote on Medicaid expansion. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how this will play out. Yeah, totally. If it, if it gets to the ballot, that's <laughs> exactly the, yeah. the, the question. And, and you're right. I mean, this is a direct, you know, reaction. We've seen it in the past, too. I mean, in the 90s, when um, there was a ballot initiative establishing term limits for politicians, uh, right after that, uh, Republican lawmakers clamped down on the initiative process. Then uh, that one got overturned in the courts, too. Then they had to redo it. But it, every single time that something happens that they don't like, they see as usurping their power, uh, they come back and try to restrict uh, that ability for the citizens to, to pass legislation. So what will it take, Jimmy? What are the next steps from the legislature and then for uh, it to actually pass on uh, in an election? Yeah. So it still needs a public hearing. It was just introduced, uh, which means that it will have public testimony taken uh, in both the House and Senate. But like I said, it would need two thirds approval from both chambers, uh, which have, you know, 80 plus percent majority Republicans uh, in them to then get to the ballot. And then in 2024, if it does pass the legislature, then voters would get to weigh in on it in November. And is it just a straight majority in the November 2024? 50.1? 50 50 plus one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, all yeah, you yeah. need. You just need 50% of the votes plus one person. Okay. 
Well, to pivot to one other thing that came up, this isn't uh, a bill or a constitutional amendment or anything like that, but there are rules around just how the legislature is operating this session. Uh, two House committee chairs, both Republicans, have created a rule that nobody under the age of 18 can testify in those two committees. It's caused an outcry, uh, particularly among Boise youth. We've seen the last few years, especially the youth in Boise in particular, because that's where the Capitol is located, um, are showing up to testify uh, at public hearings. And so if you're under 18, you wouldn't be able to in these two committees, right? Correct. You even talked with somebody about this. So tell us about that from your uh, your Hey Boise newsletter. Boiseans probably know of Shiva Rajmandari, a Boise uh, school district board member, um, first high schooler to be on the board. He signed on to um, an op-ed that like dozens of student body presidents and other student leaders from around the state, and it's genuinely like all over the state, signed on to that was basically calling this out and saying like, we need to have a voice. I mean, it, it just feels like a pretty big power grab, really. But a lot of the explanations from these committee chairs were, you know, we need to prioritize taxpayers. Um, well, a lot of us, you know, like growing up in Idaho, a lot of a lot of people get a job when they're 16 and start paying taxes right away. I know I did. Right. That FICA line item comes out of your first yeah. paycheck. And you're like, yeah. what's that? <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. And so it's just kind of like, well, that's just not true. Um, and then a lot of it is like, um, I think it was Representative Ruskog from Nampa who said, you know, well, we've had entire classes come and give testimony for um, hearings and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, but probably on bills that affect youth, you know, like it's it's not like the, the legislature just passes things that are um, only addressed to people over the age of 18. So, um, a lot of student leaders are really upset about this. Um, they're circulating a petition to call um, on these chair people to remove these rules. In my knowledge, we haven't really seen anything like this in recent history in Idaho. So, um, yeah, it's got a lot of student leaders worked up. Um, and Shiva talked to me yesterday and we kind of went over some of the questions that I had about this. And he was yeah, pretty upset about it. Yeah, and Shiva's so interesting too because, of course, he's 18, so this wouldn't apply to him, but he uh, has been testified when he was under the age of 18 in, in hearings and um, kind of gained some notoriety for, uh, for going to these uh, public hearings in the past. Jimmy, what do you think about this? This just seems like, oh my gosh, we're, <laughs> we're just silencing our youth? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, it just shows just how much power committee chair people have at the legislature mm. because each person runs their committee differently. And, and these are the choices that they have made. Some in the past have chosen to take remote testimony versus not. But even to Blake's point about people under the age of 18 being taxpayers, even before you have your first job, think about when you had your allowance and you go and buy some candy or whatever, you're yeah. paying sales tax on that. You're a taxpayer technically. Uh, so, I mean, I, I personally, as a First Amendment issue and access to, you know, the legislature and, and your own government that you're funding, I think that it's a, a huge problem because just as Blake said, they pass plenty of laws that affect people under the age of 18. And if you're affected, I think that you should be able to raise your voice and, and you know, speak your mind on whatever issue it happens to be. All right. Well, before we wrap up for today's episode, I want to talk about food because it's one of my favorite things <laughs> to talk about always. Um, and in particular, there's some fun news to share, which is that for 
Treasure Valley-based chefs have been nominated for the annual James Beard Awards. These are kind of like, I don't know, the Oscars for for chefs. Um, And these are semi-finalists. Cross your fingers that at least one of them will make it to the finals. We haven't seen that. But I want to shout out Dan Ansadegi of Ansatz, Chris Kimori of Kin, Kibram Milash of Kibram's Ethiopian and Eritrean food, and then Salvador Alamia of Amano in Caldwell. Um, and it's just great to see Boise chefs and Treasure Valley chefs um, on this list. Uh, Kibram's, I think, is a new addition. I don't think Kibram's has, has been nominated before, so that's really exciting. Um, yeah, so with that in mind, like, <laughs> Jimmy, Blake, uh, what are you eating these days? What's been a, a meal that you've loved, or do you want to shout out any of these uh, James Beard nominated chefs or a chef or restaurant that you think maybe should have been nominated that, that wasn't? I will jump in and say I recently had um, kind of a pleasant discovery. I haven't been to the High Note Cafe. Um, I think it's over on Fifth Street, um, right next yes. to the Flying M yep. uh, in downtown Boise. And there, they were Boise's first like all vegan, full on restaurants. Um, and I only went a couple times pre pandemic, and I haven't been for a couple years. And I just recently went um, for a Saturday brunch there. And it was so good. I don't know really what I expected, but I know that it wasn't that. And I went with like a group of six people and we all just like loved everything that we had. I had um, like a breakfast sandwich of some sort. And I'm I'm not vegan, but it was like, even if you aren't vegan, you should go check it out. Um, it was delicious. I've heard that their burritos are really good. Did anybody have a burrito? <laughs> yes, someone had a burrito. Yeah. And um, I mean, a good sign. They ate it quickly enough that I did not get to try it. So <laughs> must be good. That is a really good sign. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, Amano and just really that I haven't eaten there in a couple years. And I'm salivating thinking about it and i'm so excited because i'm pretty sure citycast boise we're gonna we're gonna hit up amano in a couple weeks uh and we're very excited we had to get reservations ahead of time because they are popular for a good reason and so the fact that uh the chef there salvador uh has been nominated again that's really exciting what about you jimmy what's a a meal you want to shout out or a restaurant Oh man, I'm I'm so happy that Ansatz got on that list. I've been ah, recommending right? it so hard to everybody who comes to town. It's one of my favorite places. I wish that they were open for dinner. They're only open for, you know, kind of brunch, lunch type uh time frames, unfortunately. Uh, but you can buy their chorizo uh to bring home and, you know, cook up for dinner or whatever. But I would say, like, the best experience I had there was trying their bacalao uh, croquetas, which is Ooh. dried codfish. And usually I'm I'm all about, like, the jamon uh, croquetas. But, oh, that that stole the show for me. Uh, it, it's just so, so tender and delicious inside that crispy fried shell. So, you know, I, I would definitely say Ansatz. Also, I know, sorry, Boise, but one of my other uh, friends' restaurants, Black Cypress up in Pullman, made uh, the oh. list for uh, best service. So shout out to Black Cypress as well. If you're ever up in Pullman, please go. Nice. Okay. So Moscow Pullman folks. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm officially hungry. Good way to end uh, today's today's show. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Thanks, Blake. I appreciate uh, your your perspective and your expertise. Thanks, Frankie. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, that's all for today here on CityCast Boise. Our music is by All the Kimonos and local band Up Is The Down Is The. The show is produced by Evelyn Avitia. This week, we had extra help from Natalie Rivera and Noah Snyderman. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, which you can get in your inbox for free every weekday. Host Emma Arnold will be back in the saddle on Monday, and I'm Frankie Barnhill. Be sure to tell your favorite local chef about the show, and we'll see you next week, Boise.